This is Red Raccoon Radio. gentlemen and welcome to red raccoon radio where a customer manages to herd some employees into a booth and talk about all the nerdy stuff we want to talk with them about uh this week i am joined by manager jesse hello and gameologist alexis hi now alexis this is your first time on the podcast i'm making this now a common question what is your specialty in the shop what excites you to talk to people about Magic the Gathering. Yes. Yes. I love when people come in and have never played before. I think I talked with a customer for like 20 minutes the other day just telling the very basic mechanics, and that was a lot of fun. And then my favorite game that we have out on our table right now is Death May Die. Yes. I know you're a fan of that. I'm a huge fan of Death May Die and Eric Lang in general. Um, I know that there are some people uh, that, you know, have favorite directors, favorite books, uh, authors. Uh, Eric M. Lang is somebody that I follow like a groupie. Okay. Um, if he had a concert series, I would most likely wear the shirt and travel in a van. Um, I, I've spent way too much money on just a game because it has his name on it, and I know nothing else about it. Uh, I'm looking at you, Bloodborne. Yeah. You beat me to the comic book. Wow, well, I'm sorry. Jesse, I got there, and he's like, go upstairs, there's something exciting behind the table. Oh, the comic book yes. expansion for Death and Ryan was died. like, John already bought it. I'm sorry. But, hey, it's okay. I... I would have fought you fist fights. Um, <laughs> yeah, you would have won. That's one of the few things that, uh, one of the few games that I wish I would have kickstarted. For those of you that have not played uh, Death May Die, uh, you basically have a modular story and a modular monster, meaning that you can choose an episode with a theme, and you choose a specific uh, Cthulian. Is there a an elder one? An elder one. They're they're kind of a variety of what they are. But you can mix and match those as you go. So the replay value is intense, uh, but really I feel like where it shines, and if you feel differently, uh, is the characters. Yes. Because all the characters have two abilities that, um, you know, it's kind of, multiple characters might share an ability, but each one has their own specific ability. And I think that it is always unique. It brings a whole new gameplay, and uh, so getting new characters is huge. Yes. Who do you normally play as? I try and mix it up every time. I haven't found one that I play over and over yet. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, I normally say that Rasputin is a good person to start with. He's a good one. His special ability is not dying. Yeah. Uh, He has, like, an extra life, and as you evolve the character, as they continue to gain madness, he gets more extra lives. Um, And he saved the day multiple times in my games. The one that has uh, Marksman, I can't remember his name, but where you can shoot from the other rooms. Oh. That's a nice one, too. I don't, I don't remember his name, but I know who you're talking about. I can see it in my mind. Ah, well, uh, as people are shouting at us on this podcast for not knowing that, maybe we'll bring it up later in the show notes. However, uh, let's talk about what's been going on in the store this week. Um, any events that have been going on that have been kind of cool? We had ladies' night last Saturday. Obviously, I was not there to attend. Uh, what was it like? I was there. It was good. It was nice. It was a lot of people I'd never seen before, and... It was a different vibe from working, which was fun. I was able to just play games with people I'd never met, and it was a very welcoming and wholesome. It was a good time. How often do you guys do this? Or you people, excuse me, inclusive. Um, before COVID, we were doing them about once a quarter, and the plan is to continue doing them about once a quarter. 
understandable. Um, so, and I'm going to ask you this question, and I don't want it to be like, because, I will say because you attended ladies' night, I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. My wife has run into the problem where she's gone to game stores and other places, and instantly been identified as someone that does not belong there. Yes. Would you, but in Red Raccoon, she's never felt that way. In fact, that was one of the weird things about when she started going to Red Raccoon. It was one of the few places that's a game shop she feels comfortable just walking into. Do you have that same kind of sensation? Very much so. Why do you think that is? I, I don't know. Maybe because there's more ladies on the staff? But even when the... I, I don't have an answer for that. It's just more welcoming all around. I know, every, like, every other game store I've gone into, I just feel like I'm sitting in the background while everybody else talks, and that's not the case here, and it's very nice. That is true. I, I have valued opinions from any gender that has worked behind the counter. Um, so, anything else that happened this week? Um, let's see. Uh, right now, there's a Digimon pre-release going on for the Digimon CCG, which... Uh, appears to be going well. I've gotten to play the Digimon TCG a couple of times, and it was really fun. It's a different card game. It's not just like a magic clone. A lot of card games tend to fall into. Um, mechanically, it has some things that reminded me of uh, actually Android Netrunner, of all things, but less frustrating. Uh, so um, I like how the upgrading in it works, the, the Digivolution. It's a neat game, and uh, I have a soft spot for Digimon uh, back from my childhood. It's actually a cool thing where they're doing a classic collection this December that is cards for the current game, but featuring classic 90s art like you would have seen on older cards or older games and such. And Jesse, I think you and I are on the, the right side of history in saying Digimon is the superior of the monster capturing, collecting, evolving series. That sounds like bait. <laughs> <laughs> It, honestly, in my opinion, as someone who grew up in the midst of all the monster capturing, raising games, and uh, franchises, I think they all are unique for the most part, especially the major ones, right? Like, Pokemon and Digimon are apples and oranges in not only their aesthetic, but also in the way that, like, any game of theirs tends to go, right? And the Digimon video games have been everything from a uh, open-world, almost... Um, open RPG kind of setting to a monster raising one, to a dungeon crawler, to a traditional like JRPG. Um, and there's more of a partnering element there, and of course their evolutions just work way crazier. Mm -hmm. And then there's like Monster Rancher, which is more of a very involved, with lots of numbers going on in the backgrounds, monster raising sim, uh, which I enjoyed Monster Rancher 2 a lot as a kid, despite how infuriating it was. And uh, I mean, those are the three I think of the most. There are a lot of other ones like that, but I think they're all they're all unique enough in their own way that there's I think it's apples, oranges, and pears. I think I've sent you memes before of uh, an evolution in Pokemon usually makes sense. Like you actually <laughs> see like why oh Dragonair would need arms now because right. it's getting bigger and, and things along those lines. Whereas with Digimon, it's like here's a salamander and then it turns into a refrigerator with machine guns. Yes. Uh, and there's no need for that. There's no explanation for why that transformation occurs. I, but. I love that meme. And it's true. I mean, well, and within, like, the anime for uh, Digimon, you often will see this Digimon has a specific uh, Digivolution, like, line, 
but in the video games, they switch it up all the time, and it works more like my actual favorite of the Monster Raisin Sim franchises, uh, Shin Megami Tensei, mm. uh, where you basically have fusions and things that will go in all sorts of different directions. It's more of a matrix than like a Pokemon, this Pokemon becomes this Pokemon becomes this Pokemon. Alexis, does it surprise you in any way that Jesse's favorite type of monster collecting is when it's actually horrible, nightmare-inducing monsters and not cute little figure things that not you can on your shoulder? No. They're cute no. ones, too. Jack Frost is very cute. He is. He's a little snowman, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, he's a little and then snowman. what does he transform into? He, I'm, well, he has a friend who's a scary pumpkin snowman, yeah. a pumpkin fireman, but they're, they're both adorable. Uh, and I believe that series also has some very graphic yeah. characters as well that I'm not going to speak to <laughs> on a family-friendly you know, podcast. It, it draws from all sorts of world mythology, and that's what I love about it. But we've definitely, there are no Shin Megami Tensei tabletop games that have been released in the States, so we should probably pull it back into tabletop. <laughs> That's a great segue into talking about some of the things that have been happening over the past few weeks. And first of all, I want to hear if you guys had heard uh, about Descent Legends of the Dark, because uh, this game is getting a lot of press for its amazing app. That's coming. Heard of it? I've held it. We <gasps> have it in the store. What? So, uh,. It, timing of this episode as of right now we actually have an early release for it um but yeah descent legends of the dark is brand new descent um it's not a big box repackaging of stuff from uh the uh journeys in the dark second edition it's all new stuff and it is now exclusively cooperative app assisted whereas descent second edition you could play the traditional dungeon master role versus everyone else or you could have the app run the dungeon master for you they took the cue from the success of mansions of madness this features essentially the newest edition of that app and it is fully co-op fully app driven there is a lot of replay value in its scenarios it's campaign style not a legacy game there's nothing you're permanently changing or destroying and uh, one of the things I thought was very cool is that there are six characters, even the characters you don't pick during your playthrough, you will get to see some of their story develop. And I thought that was very neat. Uh, and then after you play through the campaign, there's replay value, and there's a little, there's a little logo on the box that says Act 1 which is a little terrifying and also exciting. <laughs> terrifying to your wallet, exciting yes. to your, your play value. Yeah, and so uh, the ones we have right now also come with promos, uh, alternate, nothing mechanically changing, so when people hear promos for games, sometimes they hit the, the Rising Sun issue, right? There's another Eric Lang game that is amazing, and there was some stuff that you could only get in the first print run that were mechanically unique factions and stuff, and latecomers get kind of sad about that. Um... Descent, this one just has alternate sculpt mini, alternate art cards, and these really nice upgraded uh, life dials. So, little extras for getting it uh, from us and uh, early. Now, while this is a fantastic uh, sounding game, and I already have told you before we recorded that I need to put one aside, there is kind of a question that comes up with this, and that is board games merging with technology. And that's why I like to have Alexis here for this episode. Alexis serves as one of our TikTok team members yes. uh, that has truly helped Red Raccoon somewhat blow up uh, on the TikTok scene. I think uh, I think in our first episode we talked about possibly how TikTok has gotten even more benefits and, and people coming in from all over the state uh, to see the store. Yeah. So as a technology person, 
Alexis. How do you feel about tech being integrated into board games more and more? I think that it is neat, but not necessary. I don't, putting my thoughts into words. I think that it is helpful, but I think that sometimes when you're playing a game, you don't want the technology around either. So if it's an option, if the game has the option of you can use the technology or you cannot, and it plays exactly the same, that's cool. If you have to use the technology, I think that could lose some people. So games like Mansion of Madness, where you have to have the app in order to know where the placement tiles is and what creatures to spawn, that is something that you get a little bit hazy about? Yeah. I just, I don't think that everybody wants that. Because why? That's a fair question. I try and ask them on here as soon as possible. There could be people who aren't tech savvy who don't want to figure it out. They'd rather just sit down and play the game and not have to worry about learning something new when they're already learning a new game. That would be my thought on that. That's fair. I mean, analog games is, I mean, a lot of the reasons why people play is that all you need is within a box and to all of a sudden have to be managing. And, and I know that I have a very specific setup. I live in no kid's life, so I'm very blessed. I have a game room where I can have a TV and I have an iPad and I have Apple TV, so I can very, very quickly take a, yeah. take a product, throw it up on my big screen so that everyone that's playing can see all the stuff that they need to see, and it's not a problem. But with Mansions of Madness, for example, and I don't know how Journey works, but... Uh, Mansions of Madness, I believe, is only an app. So you Correct. have to have something that's okay. not a computer. And having it just on your phone, depending on your phone screen, can be... For uh, for Mansions, they do have it available on Steam as well, so you can bring it up on a computer now. That's fantastic. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Um, more of a reason to go by Mansions of Madness, but that's a whole other conversation we can have. But I absolutely see the... The, the hurdle of having the right technology to actually enjoy a game yeah. uh, and, and just enjoying more of the analog experience of what you're talking about, absolutely important to what we're talking about. Personally, I think it's cool. I would use an app, and it's a good tool to have. I just don't know if it's for everybody. I think that's, I think that's really fair. Uh, App-assisted games, I look at as something of a hybrid where... They are a subset of tabletop gaming, but it's not something that should be ubiquitous or ever I think would be, because a lot of people do come to tabletop gaming to get away from technology and unplug for a while. Um, Mansions of Madness in particular is an amazing gaming experience. I'd probably put it at least in my top 20 games. Uh, and part of the reasons I tell people it's like getting to play Call of Cthulhu, the RPG, but without a dungeon master, uh, or a game master in my case. Um, but I do think that that experience feels like a hybrid of playing a video game together and playing a board game together. And it's not something I'd want to do every time that I sat down to play. But it does open up new options. For example, and I'll use the example of Mansions again because I have not actually played Descent yet. Um, it gives the ability for the game to keep track of things that are not actually happening on the table yet and things that are not player-facing knowledge, as well as randomizing things and giving you more variety than what it could if these were all printed on cards, which the first edition of it was, and they really were able to expand that experience with the second edition being app-assisted. So I, I agree that it's a good subset of tabletop gaming 
for when you feel like doing it. But there are lots of times, like the other day, where I say, you know what, I just want to grab a game that we're going to be able to put on the table and not have to worry about where an outlet is. Mm, that's a good point, too. I've been in the middle of Mansions of Madness and watched my iPad die and be freaked out for that 10 minutes it takes for it to recharge for me to reopen the app and see how much of it's saved and, and if I've just ruined an hour of my game time because, again, it's dependent on the app. Now, on relatedly, uh, there are companies like Renegade who have done optional app-assisted play. So Renegade has uh, a Renegade app that has little subsets for many of their games, and some of them are just uh, gameplay assists, like for Fuse and uh, as a Flatline, it's a timer and a round keep track of what you do, right? Uh, but for Clank and Clank in Space, they actually have new solo play and versus the board modes that are not at all required, but it's basically like a free digital expansion for the game that gives you a new way to play. I think that's something it'd be cool for more uh, companies to do. I can see that. I, I also wish sometimes that rules came more in an app format where you could actually yeah. see people... Put, like see the tiles being placed down within an app to assist you in getting the board set up or just explaining like how the rules work so you can actually see it being played instead of just reading it. But And that is a benefit of how much of the rules part is taken care of by games like Mansions. Mansions is a very quick game once you have it arranged to get people going with because they don't have to learn a lot of rules. They mm -hmm. learn you have this many actions on your turn, tell it what kind of weapon you're using in combat, right? Yeah. So speaking of technology-based games and how that's kind of coming in, I'd also like to bring up the fact that Magic the Gathering recently announced that there's going to be exclusive cards and exclusive mechanics, but only in the digital space, where they have uh, Magic the Gathering Arena, which is their online app. Uh, for the people that work in a store, uh, how do you feel about now they're just being digital items that regular players, the people that can come down and play in the basement at Red Raccoon, can't access now. Do you want to take that one first? Or sure. do you want me to? No, you I, take can, it. I can do it. Cool. I, I think that it's neat. I think that it won't affect the people who want to play in person. Because then it's almost... I mean, not two different games, because it's still Magic the Gathering. But it's almost like another format. Like, you can go downstairs and play Modern or Commander, or you can play Arena at home. And I don't think that it'll affect the player base too much in that way. And if you have people who play with, like, casual groups at home, they could have kitchen table rules, and they could still play those mechanics in person if they really wanted to. Now, I haven't gotten a chance to actually look at the mechanics. I don't know um, them either. I can... So, that's actually a very good point, Alexis, is that I imagine a lot of these mechanics will be things that... Uh, someone at kitchen table will proxy in, yeah. and it'll be a little cumbersome, so it's not going to be an expensive, extensive thing, but if they really like it, they'll go with that. The mechanics that they're introducing are things like um, some of it is stuff that they have phased out of the game that might have existed previously. So, like, full library searches, uh, like search your deck for a land, or search your deck for a blue uh, mana converter mana cost 2, right? Uh, that's something that's very specific that your um, the app can go, oh yeah, pull a random card of this description from your deck very quick, or search for it, boom. Right. Whereas at the table, it would slow things down a lot. And that's one of the reasons, like Rosewater talked about, um, uh, lead developer there, 
that they have decided those are not things they, they want to put in tabletop because it would slow the game down too much. It's one of the reasons they moved to like scry the top seven cards on your deck instead or something. And I've now opened it up and done a little bit of reading. Uh, so there's a seek mechanic, which will allow you to, as you were saying, kind of search your deck but not have to reshuffle and worry about is this a fair way of doing things. There's a perpetually mm-hmm. keyword, which basically means even after a card leaves your hand, it can still retain buffs and debuffs uh, throughout changes. the game, yeah. uh, which obviously you don't want to mark on your cards. I'm pretty sure it's just saying that there were some people that tensed up throughout their whole entire body. <laughs> uh, and then there's also Conjure, where you can actually create cards out of nothing, where it's not just tokens, it's actually, I can produce this card because I have this card. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely see some value in leveraging that. Um, I just was curious, I guess... Do you feel like there's enough given to people that still play the tabletop version that this doesn't seem like a slight against them? Yes, I do. Especially, I mean, with the new set, we were talking about it a little bit, there's mechanics there with, like, dice rolling and stuff, and I don't know how that set's working on Arena. And that new set is? Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. The D&D crossover. Oh, crossover, thank you, that's the word. Um, I don't know how that one plays on Arena, but I feel like that's one that would work better in person. So I think there's some give and take there. Like, this one thing's going to work better on Arena, but this one's going to work better at an actual table. There's a lot of sort of sideboard-like things going on in Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, like the dungeon card and yeah. all of the um, the class level-up attachments and stuff. That I, Arena might get a little crowded with that right. stuff. I haven't played the new set in Arena either. Um, but I, I think ultimately it this... I think that what you guys are touching on, what you're both touching on, is very good. That there are people who are going to, it's going to appeal to them on Arena, and there are people who are going to go, that's neat, I'm still playing paper. And ultimately, I think that it highlights that Magic is not a mobile-designed card game. And playing Arena on my phone, which I, I started playing Arena once I could play it on my phone, really highlighted that to me, that card games that have been designed specifically for a digital space, like a, a Shadowverse or um, a Hearthstone. Bunch of Hearthstone and a bunch of other ones that I have played for a week and then dropped because I got distracted. Um, those are streamlined in ways that work in that digital space. And a lot of them do these kinds of mechanics that are things that you could not do with physical cards, right? They take advantage of that. So I think that it makes sense for Wizards to try that out with Arena. At the same time, someone who is specifically a digital card game player, I get the feeling that Magic is a, in that space, more cumbersome game than probably grabs their attention most of the time. Because uh, those games tend to be very quick moving and uh, not a lot of read reference needed. On the other hand, someone who is playing Arena because they're a tabletop magic player might think that these are cute gimmicks, maybe it's something that appeals to them, but I don't think it's going to radically change their experience in the game that they like to where it's going to make them go, oh, yep, going hard only Arena, right? Because ultimately, and this is at least my experience, that's the kind of game that I play laying in bed before I go to sleep or if I am eating breakfast and I want to play a game while I'm eating, right? Uh, it is a different experience than what I get sitting down at a table playing cards with folks. And Looking at the white of the eyes of your enemy yeah. before you destroy them. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, there's okay. some things like the math where I go, oh, cool, it's great that the app's doing that for me, but 
at the end of the day, it is ironically sometimes more cumbersome to play the app than it is to play physically, I guess. Uh, that's, so in other words, I think we have two audiences that are going to react to this differently, and there's crossover between those audiences. But uh, I, don't, I don't see it as a, a huge... And the other question is, going forward, you know, Wizards has announced it's 30-some cards in this new online exclusive set are going to be this way. Are they going to go hard and really strongly bifurcate what exists between the two formats? Or is this going to be one of those things where they introduce some kind of cute stuff, but similar to I've had people who talk about, oh, I love the Forgotten Realms set. There's so many cool D&D-centric mechanics they introduced here. The only thing that makes me sad is when do I get to see these mechanics again, right? Because they're like, I don't expect to see the dungeon mechanic show up in a non-D&D uh, magic set. Right. This or Could be, but you know, most likely it's the next D&D set is when we see a lot of that stuff pop again. And again, that's like Adventures of Forgotten Realms. From what I've heard, competitive players overlooked it a lot. Casual players, especially those who like flavor and like how mechanics go into flavor and like D&D and haven't played Magic in a decade, it's grabbed them. So. so speaking of people that are addicted to flavor and really having that tactile experience, let's talk a little bit about Warhammer. Uh, it's a big series that we actually haven't talked too much about, uh, except briefly in the first episode of the podcast, but... Briefly is a word for that. <laughs> briefly, yeah. I'll admit, this is a place where I struggle. Uh, I, I I know the lore of 40K, Warhammer 40,000, 40, um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And I know that it is a sometimes pale comparison to Age of Sigmar, which is the more fantasy... I'm going to use the term Lord of the Rings-ish, but I feel like that's offensive. No, I mean, the way that I typically give, like, nail down what kind of fantasy Age of Sigmar is for folks is that, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, for a point of reference, is high fantasy, right? And Warhammer Fantasy, the old Warhammer Fantasy, was very much a gritty, pulpy, dark fantasy. Age of Sigmar is epic power metal fantasy. It's big heroes, big wars on large battlefields with, and the setting, interesting, we trans, uh, uh, we segued this way. Um, the setting is a very multiplanar kind of weird place, similar to how there are multiple planes in Magic's setting, right? So the reason that you don't have a great grasp on it, John, is that I haven't sat you down to play it yet. Oh, no. <laughs> Why did you were here. That was a threat, right? You the, just witnessed a threat. Not at all. He just wants to teach you a new game. Very, very casual. It's very okay. nice. It's just a game. You don't have to say this because he's your boss. <laughs> it's just a you game. Know, this is a safe place, Alexis. When I call upon the courts, I hope that you <laughs> you swear the truth and nothing but the truth. But absolutely, yeah. But one of the big things that Age of Sigmar released this week, speaking of grandiose power metal fantasies, is dragons, which apparently used to be a thing, and then they kind of went away, and now they're making a, a resurgence in force. So the Draconiths are an interesting part of Age of Sigmar in that they pop up in Age of Sigmar's backstory, but they were not a physical force on the table until soon. Uh, this falls into the, it's been previewed but not yet given a release date area. Uh, so essentially the Draconiths are their fancy word for this dragon race. Um, and they're very neat. This is almost a psychedelic metal kind of kind of bent. In the history of Age of Sigmar, 
when the old world of Warhammer Fantasy was destroyed, Sigmar, who is kind of like if Thor was also Odin, uh, is sitting there with this rusted hulk of a planet, and this sky draconith shows up, and he's like, who are you? He's like, I'm this astral dragon, and I remake dead worlds. You want to remake a dead world, bro? And then they do that, and that's what creates the, uh, the mortal realms. And essentially, there's some backstory they developed recently with some feuding between the beasts, the great beasts of destruction, and the Draconiths. And that's uh, the theme of the new edition of Age of Sigmar is big heroes and big monsters. So they are pushing the beast faction and a lot of big monsters there. They're pushing dragons now being a thing. And it's cool because these dragons are intelligent. They are uh, they are essentially a, uh, you know, very intelligent magical race that like one of the uh, I don't have its name in front of me but one of the models that they announced like sits on Sigmar's council and he's got all this bling that's like shows his rank and stuff and it's uh it's not just here's a big monster for me to put on the table here's a character and what I find very exciting is when they start to release more of these that you can rule as non-named characters because that gives a good space for players to develop their own lore for their army. But regardless, these dragons are going to be a great centerpiece for a uh, an order army, for sure. There's definitely a thing about dragons, and I've never quite put my finger on it, but I, I don't even know how to describe this. They're such a mythical creature that feel real, almost. Yeah. Uh, that everyone, even people that I don't feel like are into fantasy, have some sort of like, there's people that don't know anything about dragons within, you know, lore or, or fiction or anything like that, but will still get a dragon tattoo. Because yeah. they, they there's something just pulling about this. And, and the way that we've conformed that, we were actually talking before the podcast about the Tea Dragon Society. Yeah. Which is a... Do you want to speak to what that is? It is a... Well, it's a comic, but also a deck-building game. And those dragons are very different than the dragons that you normally think of when you think of fantasy. Sigmar They're would not so be cute. drinking no. dragon tea. No, I mean, I think we could invite them over. Okay. It's like a, a, a weekly, yeah. But yes, they're very they're very cute. And in the lore, you, these dragons are not even, like, fire-breathing. You literally just make tea with leaves that grow off of them, which feels dirty in a way that I don't like expressing, but at the same time, the way that the narrative is told, it, it's a very sweet story. It's adorable. Yeah. It is, and in the game, you're going through all four seasons and collecting memories with them, and it is very sweet. And there is that time constraint. I, it, the game is very well put out, and they even released a second edition because they had more cute dragons yeah. in the second book, so they had to have more cute dragons in the game, and uh, actually gave you cards to update your first set to, to play better. It's well thought out. That was not one of the items I wanted to talk about today, but it's still a good game. Um, We're going to get the plushies eventually. Ooh. Yeah, they did a Kickstarter for some stuff, and we are getting the plushies. Isn't there a blanket, too? I think there's a blanket. I, I don't blanket. remember for sure if we're getting the blanket, but we're, we're going to try well, if we can't have the blanket right now, let's talk about what you do have, especially in the new hotness. Now, normally we've just kind of spitballed this podcast, but today Jesse was like, no, we're going to get real games, put them on the table, and actually talk about them. So, Jesse, what did you bring up? So, we have two games that are in the new hotness that I think look really neat, 
And uh, first off, we have Meadow. So Meadow is one that I honestly didn't hear much about until um, I was told, hey, it's coming out this week and uh, you should bring it in. It's from Rebel Games, which are a studio under the Asmodee um, megalith. And uh, I was told off the gate, people who like Wingspan are liking this. So I haven't played this yet, but it looks gorgeous. Uh, it advertises that it has 120 cards with unique art. And essentially it is, uh, you are wandering through a meadow through the day, observing nature, plants, animals, all sorts of pretty stuff. And then going to a bonfire in the evening where you regale all your friends with the cool stuff you saw in the meadow today. And so the way that plays out is essentially set collection, uh, where you place tokens through the meadow, collecting up those cards, some of which have prerequisites, so there's a little bit of that, do I get this thing before that thing? And then going to the bonfire to redeem those and fulfill other actions, uh, get your gold card set. So if you like set collection, if you like the aesthetic of Wingspan, those are the two things that I really think... Uh, look appealing about this one, and I definitely want to give it a shot. We also can't decide what this little creature, this little buddy we have on the cover art of the game, go look up, uh, you know, Mebel, Me uh, go look up Meadow from Rebel Games, that is actually harder to say than it sounds, and uh, you let us know what you think, uh, we're debating if this was a, uh, uh, um, a mongoose, a weasel. It could be a weasel, it looks a little... Ferrety. A little ferret? ferret. I will say ferret. that it has ferret-like body structure, yeah. but fox-like uh, color. It does. At first glance, yeah. I thought it was a fox. And I feel like if they really just would have given it more pointed ears, it would definitely be a fox. fox. So the tail's not bushy though. I like the idea that someone didn't know what a fox was, right. and so they just an, like an read a description, <laughs> and this is what they came out of it. An Irving, perhaps. So, uh, yeah, we just can't decide exactly what the critter is, and I bet that it's named in the box, but I just, this has been our fun little game of what kind of, uh, I don't, I feel like his body's not quite long enough to be a mongoose, but I also feel like his legs are too long to be a ferret. So, sure. so yeah. And there's no cobras to fight in the box. There art, are so not. No Ricky really Tiki Tavi fun. Ooh, that's a deep cut. Do you even, Alexis, is that Ricky Tiki Tavi? Is that still in your zeitgeist? I no, feel like that's something that needs to be canceled. I don't know why. It feels like something that should Rudyard be... Rudyard Kipling, in general, a lot of problematic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, I, haven't, I haven't revisited Ricky Tiki Tavi since I was a kid. It's probably one of those where the core story is really cute, but there's some really troubling uh, caricatures and whatnot involved. So yeah. It's probably, Alexis, it's probably... Like anytime, generation find your own thing. Anytime you have okay. a in your mid thirties. You know, anytime you have a British guy in the eighteen hundreds hanging out in India, there's there's gonna be problems. So the other game that we have is Brew, and uh, this is one that's caught my eye. Literally, I walked in. We finally have it on the uh, on the shelf. So this is my first time touching it. But Brew is. Also nature-themed, but it's fantasy. Meadow is very much a down-to-earth, naturalist, realistic kind of vibe. That's that wingspan kind yeah. of concept. Brew is... Oh, Brew has this art style that feels almost like Avatar, like Last Airbender, but also like... Some Adventure Time, a little bit. A little bit of Adventure Time. A little bit of... Um, um, oh, the folks who do like... A, what is it? Um the Hades game that's really popular. The studio did Bastion. Uh, 
super massive. Is it super, super massive? massive? Let me look that up. I'll look that up yeah, while we talk. But Go it's ahead. that kind of a more cartoony, comic booky vibe, right? And the setting for it is kind of neat. It's time is broken and shattered. The seasons all exist at once, and day and night have no real cycle. They rotate at the whim of the forest. The enchanted land has been driven into chaos, and it's up to you, the cunning mystics of the forest, to take time to tame extraordinary woodland creatures and use your magic to bring back balance. And what that turns into mechanically is a mixture of dice rolling, worker placement, and engine building. So you have uh, dice that are your workers you place. I love that. And then uh, you're both recruiting animals and also taming um, territories. So this looks like a lot of fun. It hits a lot of things that I just really enjoy. And it says 45 to 90 minutes, so not too, not too sprawling. So yeah, the price tag's pretty nice on that too. Yeah, take a look at that. Uh, yeah. Just so you know, if anyone's screaming at the podcast right now, uh, it is super giant games, not super massive games. There we go. Uh, so I don't. I want to say that I get partial credit for that because I had like you got the super half part. of it right, and then really giant and massive. There, there, there's some yeah. connections there. I don't feel too bad about it. I That's will, all I'm saying. I'm pretty I will impressed. Allow it, it for you to feel. Better. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> oh that, that, there's a relief off my chest. Um, <laughs> But yeah, is there any new hotness games that you've been really looking at, Alexis? I don't think there's anything on there right now that has caught totally, your eye. Totally piqued my interest. Yeah. What was the last thing that did? Well, I mean, the T Dragon Society books were there, but those aren't That's games. That, no, but they're on the new hotness. They are. So yeah, they are the comic books to the the yeah. game we we're talking about earlier. Uh, definitely has some. Rebecca Sugar, who has worked mm. on uh, Steven Universe vibes, like there's a lot of emotional growth in that book and health and making you address things in a non-confrontational way. Uh, I think one of my favorite elements of that book is the mom of the main character, uh, who I believe is a blacksmith, correct? Have you not read I the book? I haven't books? read it yet. Alexis! I flipped through it. I haven't I haven't bought it. I haven't Alexis. read it. Alexis. I know. I'm not here to shame you, Alexis. It sounds like you are. You asked <laughs> what she's excited way. about. Yeah, she's excited her. that it's in the new hotness so she can get it. Which you should. I, I will. <laughs> and I'm, I hate the spoiler. I'm sorry. That no, I'm no, it's that okay. You, but I, I forget things very easily. Good. It's true. Just, you won't even remember we did this podcast. No. Um, but no, I, I highly suggest those books as well on the new hotness. Um. The same author did Princess, Princess Ever After, and I'm very excited that that's getting a version of Love Letter coming out. So, oh, yeah, John's looking at me like he's never heard of this. Yeah. Princess, Princess is about a princess rescuing a princess, and it's got strong, again, Rebecca Sugar, Steven Universe kind of energy. And uh, I've read some of the comic, and it's super cute. And then, of course... For those who aren't familiar with Love Letter, one of the best small card games you can purchase uh, because you don't even need a table to play it. Uh, they have reskinned Love Letter three billion times, and the newest reskin coming up is a Princess Princess version. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I... Hey everyone, this is John Parrott in the editor's booth. I just wanted to say that we learned that author Kay O'Neill actually uses they them pronouns, which came up in our attention after recording the following segment. We apologize for our mistake. We considered cutting the segment, but we didn't want the discussion of the awesome work to go unheard due to just our simple mess up. 
So please understand and enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, I would like to also say that the, I believe, author and illustrator is K. O'Neill. Thank you. For the Tea Dragon Society and Princess Princess. She also does another book series that's also a great board game called Aquacorn Cove, oh. where if you enjoy uh, kind of building up a society, part of it, it does go through the seasons, like uh, we were talking about with Tea Dragon yeah. Society. But you're kind of on this island. This island had a big storm, and you have to manage. It's a fishing village, so you have to manage somewhat fishing and making sure that you're not overfishing the environment, so that way there's more fish there. So there's that mechanic. You have to use the resources that you get to kind of build up the society so people can move back and, and have a thriving village. But at the same time, there's storms that roll through that can really kind of put dampers on what you're doing. But kind of the better you treat the environment, the less you have to worry about storms. And I'm sure that's not an allegory for anything. Uh, but it definitely has that same kind of, this is non-confrontational. We're all working together. There is a force out there that is kind of being destructive. But we're not hurting each other. We are, we are working together to make this the best place possible. And it's one of those games that at the end, it evaluates you uh, based on your, your group work. So you look at everything you've done, and as a group, you receive a, if you got to this point, this is what level you are. You did a great job. Good for you. Or if you reach lower than that, your village probably didn't succeed. We're really sorry. Try again next time. That's really neat. I saw that mentioned briefly when I was looking at some of her other works. So now I'm going to, I didn't realize that was actually already out. Yeah. I'm going to have to go and order that and get it in the store. Well, I'm glad that we had this talk. Yeah. And hopefully, maybe you can get Aquacorn Cove as well as the books, and yes. then I can yell at Alexis for not reading that either. Um, so, now that we've kind of talked about what's in the new hotness, I want to know what's going on with you two. Let's start with Alexis. Uh, what is the last game that you've gotten down on the table? Uh, oh, it's been, it's been a minute. Well, as we've already um, previously established in this podcast, yeah. if you like board games, do not work at a board game shop because then you just can't play them at all. Well, the funny thing is I didn't like board games before I worked here. What? <laughs> Hold on. We're going to go into a different <laughs> segment called, uh, what was that? Okay, I can't say I didn't like them, but I didn't play them. I wasn't a... That... It might be worse. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not here to judge, because obviously you've done a fantastic job, you obviously are passionate about your work, and so yeah. I do not want to try and besmirch the name of Alexis. But, so, so what is your story with, with board games? Please tell us. With, with board games, there's not much of a story. I played the very basic games. The Monopoly, yeah. the Saris, and, and all that jazz. And then party games. So, I moved here playing, like I've played Magic for years, and I was like, oh, there's a cool game store in this town, let me go there and they happened to be hiring. And so then I learned about the world of board games. And your mind was just blown. It was. It's the greatest thing. I've learned a lot what about th- games and myself. What do you think is the most uh, important thing you've learned about games so far that you wish you could teach others? Yeah, you can't just throw that question at me. I'm, I am, and it's, there it is. It's okay. He has editing power, so if you take some time to think, no one will know that you took some time to think. Can you, can you say this question again? What do you think is the most important thing you've learned about the board game? Ind- it, like, board games in general. Like, how you work with people, the industry. The experience of games. Yeah. It's not as complicated as you might think it is. 
I was always afraid to play games because I thought that they would be too complicated and I didn't think that I had the patience to learn them or the people I was with had the patience to learn them. It's really not that hard. That's beautiful. <laughs> that needs to be... I, I think this is the second time where I've said this. That needs to be put on some wood somewhere, <laughs> like burned into it. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, Jesse, you, I know, are a little bit more active because this has been your passion for a little bit longer. The, uh, that is a false correlation. <laughs> See again statement about working in the game store means that you might not play games as frequently. Um, I did actually manage to play a game yesterday. My wife and I had an afternoon, went out for lunch. Uh, shout out to Signature India for being amazing food. If you haven't went there, one of the best restaurants in town. And then we went out and got dessert, and we played Enchanted Plumes, which, if you're listening to this and it's the not-too-long future, it's probably on a demo table in the store. Um, new small card game from Calliope. Calliope is known for Suro and other things that aren't coming to mind, but Suro. I know that they've done a lot of games, but that's the only one I'm thinking of right now. Uh, but essentially, it is about being the most attractive peacock. Um, <laughs> it has this gorgeous Art Nouveau artwork on both the card backs and on the uh, the art itself. And essentially, you are the cards are peacock feathers, one of ten different colors. Yeah, ten different colors, zero through nine, because there are a hundred total cards that are unique. And on your turn, you play those down into plumes. The plume is an inverted uh, pyramid. So. You are trying to attract the peahen who has been shuffled into the bottom of the deck, bottom eight cards, so you're not sure exactly when the game is going to end, just that it's when the deck gets low. When the peahen is revealed, immediately the game stops, you add up points. Whoever has the most points wins. The way you get points is by making these plumes, where you can make the top row as large as you would like, but you, as soon as you play into the second row, you've locked in that size. So if the top row has four cards, it's going to be four, three, two, one. If you make it five cards long, five, four, three, two, one, right? All the way down, you could make it only two, one if you wanted. Uh, the trick is that, one, a card can only be in a row if its color is in the previous row. So the cards you put in that top row are dictating what cards can be in the second row, which dictates what can be in the third row. The second trick is that the top row of cards will be negative points when you score up. Everything else you add normally, but the top row is negative. So you're trying to play low cards in the top row, but also play diverse cards that will give you a lot of options for completing that plume. And at the end, you play the last card face down until the end of the game, which is the peacock. So you have the peacock and its plume. Uh, it's a very interesting game that you immediately understand how to play, but understanding the rhythm of what is uh, overextending versus being a conservative effort is definitely something that takes a couple of games to get down. Um, because every card is unique, there's a certain amount of like looking at your opponent and being like, okay, I'm really looking for the five in the dark blue feathers. Do they already have the five over there, or is it still in the deck for me to dig? But if you dig in the deck, you're going to be also running the clock out on the game. You can also exchange cards from a, uh, uh, they call it the train in the middle, which reminds me a little bit of Rummy, at least how I remember Rummy being when I was a kid. Uh, so it was very fun. We had a great time. Uh, played it twice in a row. Like it was immediately was, let's play that again. If someone enjoys things like Spider Solitaire but wants to play a multiplayer game, then this would probably appeal to them. Uh, or 
it's not tile-laying, but it's one of those card games that makes me feel like it has a tile-laying adjacent kind of thing, and it's just a gorgeous game. So. I'm not going to lie. The minute that you said that you get to be a peacock, there was an inner, like, calling to me. <laughs> I don't want to pe- be a peacock all the time, but I don't mind being a peacock for a few minutes. Let me, let me make some plumes. Let me see how beautiful I can be. There's no shame in that. None. None. Uh, it also reminded me of a scene of one of the greatest movies of all time, which is called uh, The Other Guys, starring Marky Mark and Will Ferrell. <laughs> and uh, Marky Mark, as I... a cop, shouts out, I'm a peacock captain, you gotta let me fly. Which, is, it's such intensity that it's just comedy gold. So, step one, I forgot that line. Step two... You are the only person, except for my spouse, I think I've heard mention the other guys since it came out. And step three is, none of the quotes I can think of from that movie are appropriate for this podcast. That's I think fair. you found the one. I found the one. <laughs> also, uh, they shout America as they try and jump what I believe is an electric car. Uh, I don't remember quite. Uh, it's a fantastic movie. It, Daddy's Home is usually what gets put on a pedestal for Marky Mark will... Uh, Feral, I guess those like, are the two that they invasions. did together. Yeah, but other guys, in my opinion, very solid. Very solid. Alexis yeah. is nodding like she knows. No. It's, I, know, I, I mean, know. we're solidly in the, now we're talking about, like, if someone... It, these I think these are all R-rated films. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, Daddy's Home was PG-13, maybe. maybe. Maybe the first one. I don't know. Yeah, but... So, uh, I definitely think that, that that snippet of you talking about being a peacock sometimes, I think that's something we need to cut out as its own little standalone sound clip. I'm just <laughs> a customer. You don't need B-roll of me. No, it's I think you it's, guys that they want to hear put B-roll of you on the TikTok. Yeah. I, excuse me, what? We'll put B-roll of you on TikTok. I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm here, I'm not here as talent. That's why I get you guys to come and talk about things that I know very little about. Um, speaking of things that I know very little about, what's going on this week for the store? And we just Chaos. had ladies' night. What's next? Chaos. No. <laughs> I've got something else back because yeah. we, we changed the subject from me. What have I played? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So Sagrada. I played Sagrada at ladies' night. Oh. And I never played it before. So give us the the rundown. How was it? It was good. Um, when I was learning at the person who was explaining it to me, so that it's sort of. Sudoku-esque, uh-huh. which I can see the correlation, but I wouldn't say you need to like Sudoku to like Sagrada. But it was it was very pretty. Looking at it and on the shelf, I was like, this is a game I want to play, but I haven't had the time to do it. It was a lot of fun. There is something rewarding about games like Sagrada and the plume game, Magic Plumes? Enchanted Plumes. Enchanted Plumes, of course. I, I Again, I'm getting the words just a little bit off in this episode. Uh, where you actually build something that's yeah. artistic. Yeah. Almost. Like, I, I like tile placement games a lot, and this isn't tile placement. But you're, you're placing your dice that you're drafting at random, and it's... you got to work to make it look nice. It's true. And whenever you do mess it up and you know that you can't fill that last spot... Then it's sad. It's very sad, because it's, <laughs> it's like your masterpiece you're trying to make. I somehow managed to have... I don't remember how many squares are in that. Either four or five. The same amount of every color. I don't know how I did it. It was very impressive. That's, wow. It was accidental. That's pretty impressive. That's some beginner's luck right there. It was. It really was. I, I have beginner's luck. I see. See, that's your secret weapon. That is. Looking at the GameStop. Okay. 
Uh, game shop, sorry. Yeah. The uh, other cool thing about Sagrada is as a solo play game, so you can play that on your own too. Good to know. Which is, I, th- I think that's part of where the Sudoku kind of element comes in. It's, yeah. I usually call it a Sudoku puzzle that once you mess it up, you just keep going because eventually you have to sacrifice one of those scoring mechanics, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a gorgeous game. Love the translucent dice. Oh yeah, they're they're fantastic. Uh, it's weird that that is now becoming more and more of a premium premium item is transparent dice, especially on like Kickstarters mm. where we can give you normal boring dice. Or I actually thinking of that, I recently got to have a little sit down meeting with a representative from Steve Jackson Games, and they showed me a few of their newer things that I hadn't seen before. Transparent dice made me think of that because there's an updated version of Zombie Dice, Zombie Dice Deluxe. And it features not only a really cool uh, silk-screened dice bag, but it has translucent dice. And I was like, I haven't played zombie dice in a long time. The translucent dice make me want to play it again. So that was really cool. Games, they're they're really more about art than you give them credit for. Yes, they are fantastic. Uh, So, again, you played that at Ladies' Night. What events are going on uh, for the next week? We have our first modern night on the 5th. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. I don't know much about it other than it's our first modern night. Um, so we have some folks who really wanted to uh, give people who play modern uh, opportunity to play in the store. Let's, and let's rewind a little bit. Is modern What is modern? There okay. we go. That's a good one. Modern so, is a format of Magic the Gathering. Ah, okay. Now yes. we're, we're getting to the same page. Yes. So what makes this different? It is... So, I mean... You've got your different formats. You've got Commander, which is like a 100-card singleton deck, and your Commander sits on the side as like an eighth card that you always have in your hand. Modern is a 60-card deck, and it is only cards that... Someone could fight me on this if I have this information wrong. I think it's from 8th edition or newer that have been in modern legal sets. So, like, Counterspell just was released in Modern Horizons 2, and that made it modern legal, even though it had been released in previous sets that weren't uh, modern legal. Okay. Like, it came out in the right time frame, but because it had never been in a modern set, you couldn't play it. So that was a big deal when it was released in Modern Horizons 2. I see. So by modern, you mean this is, like, the most current decks that you can play with, and you can't pull, like, no. a Black Lotus out. Well, you can't pull Black Lotus out because that is before... I think it's... I think 8th... It is 8th. Is it 8th edition? Yeah. Okay. So anything from 8th edition and forward. So it, it's not necessarily new stuff. The what irony... What edition are we on now? Let's ask that question. Well, oh. there's... They, stopped, they, counting, them they stopped counting them that way after 10th. Yes. And started to go to years. Yes. So like Corset 2021. The edition ones were like Corsets. Um, the funny thing about Modern is that it's so named because at that time it was splitting up Modern cards, which are current versus legacy, vintage, older stuff, right? Uh, but now we're at a point where modern ha- is a, you know, let's see, 8th edition came out in, bloop, bloop, 2003, which is um, almost 20 years ago, if we want to make <laughs> me and John feel old. That, that still makes me feel old. <sighs> Good. Welcome to the club. So 8th uh, edition, or so modern has been around long enough that they have actually, like Pioneer is essentially intended to be the new modern, that it has a more recent start date of you can play with your cards that are older than standard, gives people who got in for standard a few years ago, dropped out, and then uh, want to play with stuff but not go all the way back to modern, because since modern has an almost 20-year-old uh, card pool, 
it is there's a lot of expensive things in there, right? So I, I kind of jumped in there That's with okay. your explaining modern. Um, with that, we have we're trying out some events for modern that have price support, but it's relatively flat price support, so it's very casual friendly. It's not one person's taking everything at the top. And uh, just giving an opportunity. We always like to encourage casual players and people who are trying to have fun to play in our events. So this was designed to attract those kinds of players. Will you be participating in Modern Night, Alexis? I have not played... I have played Modern before. I borrowed someone's deck to learn it. And it is a competitive format, and I think that if we can keep it as a casual thing here, that that'll bring in a lot of people, because I don't like playing it competitively. Okay. I don't care for competitive magic much, because it's like, turn two, you're out of the game, you didn't get to have fun playing. Understood. If it's casual, I think it could be a lot of fun. And if I don't work, I might come in and play. Okay. Other stuff that's coming up um, is our usual calendar of events that are available at redraccoongames.net on the uh, the events calendar there. And looking at some other special stuff coming up, uh, August 8th, we have another Learn to Play Day for Warhammer Age of Sigmar. August 11th, we have an Vampire the Masquerade Rivals Learn to Play. I've been seeing that more and more. Is that like a, is that a collectible card game or a... So Rivals is, uh, well, you should show up on the 11th and you will learn how to play it. That's fair. Okay. So the way that Rivals is set up is an expandable card game, which um, Renegade, the people publishing it, cannot use the term living card game, but I can because I'm just talking on a podcast. So the living card game format, which was developed by Fantasy Flight Games and is a trademark thereof, is a way to play games that feel like a CCG with that customizability of your deck, but without the chasing of of cards and random booster packs. So if you're someone who says, hey, I really like getting to build my own deck and putting my own twist on how I play this game, but I don't play Magic anymore, I don't play Pokemon anymore because I don't want to buy booster packs, I just want to buy this core set and this expansion and that gives me what I need, that is what an LCG does. So for instance, um, Arkham Horror... Marvel Champions, my old favorite that used to play all the time, Game of Thrones, uh, the card game. And Vampire is a game in that same ilk. So the way that uh, Vampire Rivals is set up is that you have a core box that has four decks representing four different Masquerade clans. Uh, if I'm remembering right, it's Tremere, Toreador... You're fine. I was just going to say, let's back up this more. Masquerade clans? By yeah. masquerade, that is yeah, so a term within vampire that basically is just like vampire, vampire families. There you go. So the 32nd, for those who don't know what we're talking about at all, Vampire the Masquerade is a long-running RPG line where you get to play vampires, and my favorite way of summing up is dress up and act petty. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, 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 that checks out. So modern urban fantasy horror uh, Rivals is a card game adaptation of that, and there are different clans, which are different types of vampires, and four of them are represented in this box, Toreador, Tremere, Malkavian, and Bruja, which is a nice spread of those types, because the Bruja are like biker vampires, and the Malkavians are really not entirely mentally stable vampires, partially because they all share a hive mind, which is really interesting. The Toreador and Tremere 
I'm going to make two groups of people really mad. I can never keep them straight. One of them are nobles, and so they're very aristocratic politician vampires. And the other one are artists, if I'm remembering that right. I think, because I get them also mixed up with ones that are very strongly magicians. People are pulling over to the oh, side yeah. of the road. They're, they are shouting at their... Oh, yes. And I, I have dashes. specific friends in my head right now who, Toreador or Tremere, I'm pretty sure they're Toreadors, like, that's their clan, right? People get very attached to their clan. And I'm over here like, I like Malkavians, and uh, I can't keep you all straight, because you're both very politicky petty, right? Gotcha. Um, but anyway, you have four decks based on those clans. There's a very strong multiplayer card game. You can play it two players, but there's a lot of mechanics that shine when you're playing three and four, which, for those who like to play Magic the Gathering in commander format, that's really appealing myself, Game of Thrones had its melee format, which was for four to six players, and that was where I felt that game really shined, because you get the politicking of making deals at the table. Hey, I won't attack you this turn if you attack that person. And Rivals takes it to the next step, where there are mechanics like conspiracy cards, where I have a card that says when this card is paid for all the way, it's going to do bad things to anyone who didn't pay in for it. But I get to choose who gets to pay in. So I might look over to Lexus and say, hey, Lexus, do you want to buy in on this? Lexus gets the choice of whether or not to do so. Card gets placed. We put money on it. And then John's over there. He never got invited to the conspiracy. How dare you? It conspiracy triggers. And then Alexis, if she paid in, doesn't have the effects of it. But John and anyone else at the table do. And then I remember this. And then we'll yes. attack in tandem. But then try and take your allies. I right. see. I see now. So the way that the game is set up is you have those you have those decks already pre-built. After you play them a few times, you have extra cards you can customize the decks with. Future expansions introduce new uh, clans, and then you can mix and match those as well. Gotcha. So that's a bunch about how vampires super cool. You should check it out, and we have that learn to play. Yes, definitely attend that. I am very curious now. Um, but with that, I think we're coming to an end of our episode. Uh, we didn't say this in the last episode, but if you do have questions for the podcast, we're still sorting things out, but you can write them to info at redraccoongames.net. Dot com. Dot All com. the emails are dot com. All Inf- the emails are dot com. Info at redraccoongames.com. So you can definitely email us there, and we look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, game on.